Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the All Souls Forum. Today, we present an interview by Frank Barron with W. Oliver Kelly, one of the last surviving associates of Frank Lloyd Wright. Kelly, I'm going to ask you some questions. Talk to you about your time with Frank Lloyd Wright. Just summarize quickly your background. So you were born in Denver and then moved to Cheyenne, and that's where you started studies in engineering, then two years in military service, then in 45, started architecture at the University of Wyoming, then continued at Washington State College because they had a better program, I guess. Yes. And, and then in 1949 at Taliesin. So I have a question first about this switch you made uh, from electrical engineering to architecture. What what was the uh, can you talk about that? Because that was that's a well, pretty I big... <clears throat> I was rooming, uh, we had a room together, uh, a basement room at the university as we started our uh, freshman year. <clears throat> and Pete Hansen, uh, I'd gone to school with in Cheyenne, but was a roommate now. And uh, he was taking architecture. And I had always been interested in radio and electrical, and so I was taking electrical engineering. And uh, the engineering courses at the first year are very basic and all the sort of the same, but um, in studying at night, I just noticed that Pete was um, doing some awfully interesting things. Uh, He's talking about what his studies were and um, I just suddenly realized that uh, it sounded much more interesting to me than electrical engineering. Um, so I switched in the middle of that first quarter of school and all my professors and my mother and dad in particular got a little upset with me because uh, that was not a good time to change your major but essentially it was because the beginning year was pretty basic for all students. So I did switch over to architecture and um, the second year I was uh, there, I uh, felt that architectural engineering is what we were studying, I would more would like to know more about architecture itself. So I looked around and there was a school at Washington State that specialized, uh, specialized in architectural studies. So I switched uh, to Washington State in my uh, uh, second year and had the two years then at uh, Washington State. And um, then I was home that uh, summer and uh, we were being visited by a cousin, Cousin Carolyn, we called her, 
uh, she was from back east and was a relative of my mother's. Uh, she asked me what I was studying and what I was interested in, and I told her that it was architecture. And she surprised me by saying, well, I know Frank Lloyd Wright. And I said, I could hardly believe that, and asked her about it, and evidently she had been invited to spend some time at Taliesin because uh, they had invited her, they had met her at some sort of a, a performance in New York. Uh, they'd been sitting together. So she uh, went to Taliesin as a visitor there and got to know them and offered to write to the rights and see if there was a possibility that I could become an apprentice there, which she did. And um, very shortly, I got a letter back from the secretary, Mr. Wright's secretary, um, that uh, I was invited to come for an interview and gave me all the uh, procedures to uh, proceed that way and set up, uh, I were to, supposed to let him know when I would uh, arrive, which I did. So my parents decided to drive me out to Taliesin um, to, uh, for the interview. And when I got there, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Wright were not there. They were in Europe um, to pick up their daughter and bring her back. She had been studied with, studying with Gurdjieff over in France and I had no idea who that was at the time. Uh, and it would be several weeks before they would be back. So um, Jean Maslink, the secretary, got me a room under the house over at their place and uh, then uh, actually asked, asked me if I would be interested in singing. I said, yeah. So he said, well, let's go. And he, introduced me to the course, which was practicing that afternoon. And in essence, I was becoming an apprentice uh, right off the bat. And the, the rights hadn't even gotten there yet. But that's how I got there. What kinds of activities were you involved in? Well, <clears throat> I, I, right away I was treated as though I were an apprentice, uh, and taking meals with them and uh, going to course practice whenever it occurred, and then working on, on projects. And there were a number of things that apprentices were doing at the time. Um, and some of it had very little to do with architecture. Um, Mr. Wright felt that everyone should understand all the facets of life. And uh, as such, we were doing a number of different things, gardening, working on construction. Uh, and the one thing that didn't seem to appear quickly was working in the drafting room. And I understood then that uh, it was some time before you could qualify for the drafting room. So I was working at um, uh, repairing or actually cutting through a stone wall with another apprentice uh, in the theater but Mr. Wright wanted 
to have better access to to the theater from the uh, driveway. So um, that's what I was doing when they returned. Uh, we had a road grader, and Mr. Wright used to like to run the grader, but Mrs. Wright put an end to that once because he got bucked off uh, once and uh, got hurt. So that was the end of Mr. Wright's road grading. Um, it was an operating uh, farm. It really uh, took a lot of time. Uh, <clears throat> and of course, the uh, premises uh, did most of the work. Occasionally, um, people could be assigned to the drafting room, but uh, it took me a couple of years before I was uh, assigned to the drafting room. The uh, seniors were the main drafting source for Mr. Wright, um, who would come over in the morning and um, direct the uh, operation of the drafting room. Um, and he was in and out. Um, most of the day, he had dropped by any construction site that was going to see how it was going, and um, he loved construction and was always around if there was something like that going on. It was a life in itself, and I really benefited greatly from it. Uh, anyone that's been a Taliesin will never forget it. And um, I, I had a great deal of experience with working with my grandfather. He had a lumber yard over in Laramie, Wyoming, and I would work summers for him um, mainly um, making deliveries, um, stocking the warehouse, helping the carpenters with their materials. And at that time, lumber yards actually designed and built houses. Yeah. So there was an architect uh, in residence in, in, the, uh, in the building. So this is... Uh the hillside part of Taliesin in Wisconsin. And I think this must be the place where you first got acquainted with uh, the fellowship. Well, and, and I waited for Mr. Wright to arrive. Yes, well, he, um, I was working in the theater, cutting through a stone wall with another apprentice, and it was hot, hot work and sort of dusty, dirty work. And uh, Gene Mazzling came into the theater there and told me that Mr. and Mrs. Wright had returned, that they were having tea uh, currently uh, with the fellowship out on the lawn uh, outside the drafting room, and that Mr. Wright would like to talk to me. So uh, I assumed that was my interview coming up, so I went right out there to meet him and Mrs. Wright. And he had me just uh, sit next to him on the grass and ask me something about my experience and so forth and what have I been doing. And I ex explained the work in the theater that we were doing and, um, and what else I had uh, noticed around Taliesin and also that I had been singing with a chorus already. And um, he said, well, it looks as though you're pretty well established here, you just might as well stay. So that was my interview. Um, 
So when you mentioned uh, working on a wall that uh, you had to break through, that I think is here, isn't it? This yeah, uh, on this, uh, this this little wall right right through here, Mr. Wright wanted a way to get from the driveway into the theater if they were bringing food into the theater because uh, we would sometimes actually be served meals, uh, evening meals in the theater, uh, especially on the weekends. So he was trying to make it a little bit easier to get into the theater. And at that time, we were also working on the foyer here was, uh, that was still on the construction when I, when I got there. Well, you told me that uh, Mr. Wright was actually observing you cutting through that wall and that it, it started to crumble somewhat and you well, were that was Well, that was this opening right in here, I think. Uh, um, for a long time, this, this original theater was the um, gymnasium for the home school that Mr. Wright's maiden aunts ran for years. Uh, and when, when Mr. Wright took over Taliesin and Hillside, he turned the gymnasium into a theater. And it was quite different than what this plan shows. It was a squarish uh, building and uh, space. And um, they would have uh, meals in there um, on the weekends. So he was trying to get f facilitate that. And the foyer was supposed to be uh, a place for gathering before you went into the theater. But that was um, much later when the, uh, we were building the new theater that that occurred. Well, you made the observation once that I, I found kind of interesting that Mr. Uh, Wright uh, like to kind of test the failure point uh, of, of a certain project, how far he could go. And I thought one example of that could be the fact that you were trying to cut through that stone wall and then as it started to crumble, uh, you were kind of hesitant about continuing. Yeah, I felt that, yeah, yeah. I, I felt if, if we went much further, we we're gonna the thing might collapse, and he encouraged us to go on and take a little bit more out, and finally he said, "That's fine, boys. <laughs> that that that's plenty, <laughs> because a few stones had started to drop out overhead, so that's where we stopped uh, work. Uh, he didn't want it to go any further. So." Uh, there was a kind of unusual uh, uh, pattern in the, the life in the fellowship in that uh, the summer program was at uh, Taliesin East in Wisconsin. But then you moved to uh, Arizona uh, when it became winter time or close to winter time. So you moved all the way down to Arizona. So. But this is kind of a, a long view of, of that uh, <clears throat> campus there. And uh, the, the sleeping quarters were kind of primitive, right? 
that that was something like what you yeah the apprentices did. were um, encouraged to or actually uh, <laughs> we had to create our own tents they um, they had um, sheep herders tents and some of the uh, locations that were apprentices had set up tents that were already had little stone walls around them and had already established their location. And um, Mr. Wright said that um, we should always set, pitch our tents uh, on an existing site and not start a new site out in the desert because there were plenty of sites to use and he didn't want any more disturbance of the natural uh, environment around Taliesin West. But we all uh, did live in uh, tents, and some were quite elaborate. Others were very basic. So that summer, you were continuing work with Mr. Wright on the uh, cabaret theater, which was there uh, in that location. And uh, I think uh, we had pictures. Okay, this was the previous year. People were working on uh, on the ceiling, uh, but when you arrived, you you had to. It was sagging. The ceiling was sagging, and so you had some work there on on that. Yeah, the uh, the roof of the uh, theater uh, had been poured the year before. The, this cabaret theater was partially half underground, half in the ground and half above. And uh, the slab had been poured uh, the prior year and evidently had sagged. So it was down a couple of inches and um, Mr. Wright wanted to get it back up into uh, the normal position, which would be flat. So we uh, jacked up the slab to a level point, and then Mr. Wright designed some trusses, concrete um, frames that went on top of the roof to, to support it. And another job I understood had to do with this area of the uh, stage. And it had to do with the sound that Mr. Wright thought that had to would be improved. Yes, this that front area was a sort of a stage area because uh, a normal use of the theater was uh, usually we would have dinner in the theater and then after dinner there would be a performance of some sort in the stage area. Either the chorus would sing uh, or there would be a piano recital or, or someone would talk or whatever. But the theater was used um, in a lot of different ways, but that was its main purpose, was uh, for our own performances. And you also uh, saw films, didn't you? Saturday night? Saturday night was films, and uh, Sunday would be a performance of some sort. But Mr. Wright felt the sound was important, uh, and to enhance the sound, he wanted to uh, have the plywood floor of the stage area there um, hollow underneath so that it uh, gave a better sound. Uh, so we had to dig that hole. It was very hard. Caliche was 
like concrete. Um, so we took a couple of days and uh, digging that hole out. Um, and uh, at the same time, he asked me to design the formwork for these seats that uh, were poured. Um, it was a combination seat and table. Um, they were poured in concrete and uh, I designed a form that was uh, erected using hinges so that we could take it apart and reuse the form for, for each of the 12 rows there. Later on, um, all that was torn out and a new uh, seating arrangement uh, took place. So this is what it looks like yes, today. That's right. This is from the, from the stage, and then I think this is in the other direction. Yeah, right. Uh, these tables, um, I think they kept a little wall there, but it used to have a little table on top of it too. But um, the tables now are made of wood and they fold out to be used and the chairs are brought around for um, dining and then the chairs then are turned around and you face the screen if there's a performance of some sort that it's takes the, place. This kind of wall is typical, isn't it, for that whole uh, area? Uh, the what? The walls. Oh yes. The, the way the walls the, uh, are constructed. Typical desert masonry that we did was the using the masonry stones against the formwork. Um, they're blocked into place and then you pour the concrete into the form and then when the forms are removed you scrape off the, any concrete that gets over on the face of the stone and it gives it a very rugged, uh, very colorful wall. It's called the desert masonry. So this is just a performance uh, or lecture that was given there. Yeah, the the place is used for a lot of different uh, so reasons. Mm -hmm. When you return to uh, uh, Talies in, in Wisconsin, uh, there had been an accident. Evidently, Mr. Wright had been burning some weeds and grass out in this area here. And... Um, with a couple of apprentices that had come up early to help. The fire got into the theater through this entrance down here, I think. Uh, and the entire theater burned, as well as the whole second story over the dining room, all the way between the kitchen and this fireplace here that was completely burned out. We cleaned it all up. Uh, and then started started reconstruction. Mr. Wright, in fact, had been reported to have been in the drafting room designing the new theater as the old one was burning. I don't think it was quite that quickly, but then uh, <laughs> designed, but uh, that was uh, the story that went around. But uh, he designed a new fireproof system for construction, both for the the dining room and for the theater, four by six rafters, beams, about four feet on center. Um, we stretched 
uh, plaster a mesh over the top, plaster the bottom and poured concrete on top. So there was no wood connection between the wood frames. So the fire could not spread. Um, and that was the same way that we roofed the, um, the theater. What you see in the background here is the uh, living room. <clears throat> the fire was stopped right at the living room, fortunately, but it burned the living room, I mean, burned the uh, dining room and the rooms above and the theater. So everything from the theater to the big chimney at the theater had been re destroyed and rebuilt. And we are up on the uh, level of the upper theater seating here. And Mr. Wright is uh, directing us in the uh, cutting of the frames to go over the theater. So he had to kind of climb up here to check on what you were doing. Uh, <clears throat> I'm not, I don't know how <clears throat> Mr. Wright got up there. Uh, the only way up there was the ladder. He might have he'd come up the ladder. He had to, to get up there. Um, I'm sure that um, Mrs. Wright didn't know that. Um, but that was the only way he could have gotten up to that level. So this again is, is the... Uh, that is the new theater. The new, new right. theater. Right. And uh, so you had a, a pretty big job here working on this whole theater project. And uh, the final result was this new new stage, right? And uh, so this is, the curtain uh, was new. And I, I understand it, had, it was produced actually by... Uh, uh, fellows who, well, was it uh, a, a weaving section of the uh, well? The the, um, the the theater curtain that he designed uh, some years ago, and would like to have had it, but it was never done. And as a present to Mr. Wright for his birthday, the. The women of Talias and the apprentice, both apprentices and wives, um, did the uh, made the curtain and gave it to him on his birthday. The particular feature here is a, a poem by Walt Whitman, and I just take a one segment out of it. Is this kind of typical <clears throat> for? Uh, Mr. White to, to kind of make such a statement or well, use he, such a statement? He was co quoting what, White, uh, Walt Whitman uh, quite a bit. And this is a poem that uh, he had a letter on the wall. Wisdom is not finally tested in schools and reads on. Uh, wisdom is um, of the soul. Uh, and it cannot be passed from one thing, one person to another. This happens to be the drawing room, right? And and uh, Mr. Wright is kind of looking over people's shoulders and shows you on on his left. Right? Yes, that's that's your... right. Now this is uh, again in Arizona, right? Yes. And and um, 
in order to work, and it was during the, the summer period, and I think you had the job of working on this uh, spiral for, uh, this was the, um, let's see, for uh, uh, Mr. Wright's son, uh, David Wright. Yes. That, that's the house. And it's in Scottsdale in uh, Arizona. Yes, outside of Scottsdale in an old orchard grove. The, the uh, ramp curves around and le leads you up to the front door, which is on the upper level. Um, the, I had uh, volunteered to spend the summer down in Arizona in 51 to take care of the camp. That was Mr. Wright always left uh, one apprentice down there to help uh, Aunt Sophie and Uncle Vlado. That's his, um, that's Mr. Mrs. Wright's uh, brother and his wife, which, which were elderly. So um, at that time, they started construction on this house and um, I wanted to get, be involved if I could, so I would go down and, and help them. But as in the summertime, we started work around from midnight till about uh, two o'clock the next day. So it was uh, workable um, conditions. And all I did was uh, help carry some concrete block and so forth for the ramp. But um, I, I enjoyed that being something different. Okay, now this is a jump to uh, Manhattan in New York, and we're at Fifth, Fifth Avenue, and I think 85th, and that is where the Guggenheim Museum was built. But at this time, it was an area for which um, Mr. Wright wanted to have a pavilion to show uh, the exhibit that had traveled in Europe and was quite successful apparently and then he wanted a place where it could be exhibited and I think you were involved in fact Mr. Wright uh, found it so important that you get there to, to New York that he, he paid for your air, air flight yes that get, was the, uh, the fall of uh, 53, the exhibit had uh, had a successful run throughout Europe and was returning to this country. And it had models and large uh, panels showing Mr. Wright's pattern, designs and whatnot. Um, and all of that was going to be uh, exhibited um, on the site of the Guggenheim that had not yet been constructed. This was a vacant lot, and Mr. Wright designed a um, pavilion for that, uh, consisting of a pipe construction that supported solid panels for the roof and uh, glass panels uh, on the this uh, face over here to light the interior. We have a different version. I don't know. Was this a better sh uh, picture? Or do you prefer the other one? No, this is fine. This shows Oops. the uh, the um, pavilion as well as the the, the roof 
and the Houstonian house that he also had constructed on constructed on the site. It was a two-bedroom uh, Usonian house. He wanted people to actually uh, go in the house and and then see what a Usonian uh, house uh, looked like. And that was a, a new feature of this particular exhibition. So yes, it was a combination of what was shown in Europe, and then there was this new uh, entire house being uh, shown to New Yorkers, and that was uh, a new that, That's right. Thing. That's right. So uh, the construction in which you were involved uh, shows uh, different ver uh, images. I think maybe the next one here. Yeah. The, uh, this, the, uh, the framework for the exhibit um, was a scaffolding system, and the, the company was a uh, scaffold company. It erected the, the framework uh, that we later on uh, applied panels to to form the uh, exhibit. I think the panels are showing up here, aren't they? Yes. And so you might be one of those people working here. It's possible. The The solid panels, of course, were, the, were roofing the exhibit. The vertical panels on the other side um, were um, corrugated glass panels and very heavy. Um, and the workmen um, shied away from doing the work. The union didn't like the appearance of the safety that might be involved. So Jim Pfefferkorn and myself uh, did the glass panel installation. We worked from a scaffold and uh, the workmen would pass up the uh, the glass panels to us. Jim had designed a little metal clip that we could put the panels into to support them and, and lock them in at the top. And that is uh, what cr created a great deal of the lighting for the exhibit. You were under great pressure to complete this. And then at the same time, practically, there was a, an event in Chicago uh, that uh, needed attention. In this case, the planning got pretty tight. Uh, the Goodman Theater uh, performance was slated to um, begin at a certain time, and the construction of the uh, exhibit in New York had um, run over its time a little bit, so they were coming in pretty close at the same time. In other words, some of the people working on the exhibit were also some of the dancers for the performance in the Goodman Theater. Maybe you could say, for somebody who doesn't know much about Mrs. Wright, uh, I mean, they, this marriage, uh, uh, was about 30 years, and she played a pretty important role, didn't she? In Mrs. In Wright was the, uh, you might say Mrs. Wright uh, ran the 
uh, fellowship and Mr. Wright ran the drafting room. Um, it wasn't quite divided that way completely, but they did overlap occasionally. And this was an occasion when we had a real overlap and uh, the, the uh, dance group that uh, Yovana had put together. Uh, Yovana is the daughter and she had some training in uh, Paris, didn't she? Yes, Yovana uh, had trained in Europe with Gurdjieff and had learned the, uh, the movements, um, which was part of Gurdjieff's uh, training for self-improvement. And um, had in the process developed a, a, a performance uh, that included costuming as well as the dance. I think everyone was pretty much on edge until we finally uh, pulled it off, but um, it did work and we got both of the performances, so to speak, completed. What follows now are two really important projects that you were involved in. And this is the, the from above, the Gillen House, uh, can you talk about that a little bit, how, uh, who Gillen was and how you uh, got involved in, in this project? John Gillen was a geophysicist that had designed the equipment to um, locate the strata uh, below the ground, uh, both on the ground and in the gulf. Uh, that indicate the presence of, of oil. And that material, that information, I should say, is very important to the drillers. Uh, so he was quite wealthy uh, and uh, was interested in having Mr. Wright design his house. And this was the uh, result. Um, Mr. Wright sent me down to uh, Dallas to supervise uh, construction. Actually, I was a representative um, of the architect on the job, uh, advising uh, contractors on numerous uh, details and so forth that uh, you, you can't possibly get on the drawings. And you actually had an office then Yes, there yeah, on we, site. I had a little little shack alongside the contractors, and we worked together uh, very well. Um, it's a large house, and um, it took us uh, two years uh, to construct the building. Uh, Mr. Gillen had a huge site. Uh, also included in this was a, a swimming pool, and we uh, uh, we had a um, auxiliary uh, building uh, that we added onto, which is dressing rooms for the swimming pool. Um, and Mr. Gillen was uh, very interested in landscaping the property, and um, as I say, it took it took a couple of years. The stonework came from Kerrville, Texas. He had heard about the stone, so 
uh, we flew down there to look at it, and it was uh, a good-looking stone, but the main feature was, in my opinion, was the fact that the stone came out of the ground uh, with corners that were 120-degree corners, and we used those throughout the building. If we were in a pile of stone that came in, we would always sort out those that had the natural color on them on the 120-degree corners. Those that didn't, we would have to treat with a, a colorant of um, food coloring and um, uh, to, uh, to get the uh, matching color. I think the living room shows the stone. Yeah, the stone uh, was brought inside in numerous places like this, um, especially in the fireplace here. All the fireplaces um, were uh, stone, of course. Mr. Wright visited the site at one time and uh, designed the hood, fi uh, fireplace hoods, and all of them uh, are on a slope. Like this is the main living room fireplace, and the each bedroom, they had um, four bedrooms and each bedroom was equipped with a fireplace, uh, a small kitchenette, and, and built-in furniture. And all the furniture was built on the site. We opened uh, a little wood shop in the carport and uh, made all of the uh, built-in furniture on the site. So uh, this was in Dallas, Texas, and uh, very quickly, almost uh, towards the end of the completion of this project, you had a new one. Uh, and uh, as I understand it, uh, in that transition period from one project to the next, uh, you had a meeting with, uh, with uh, Mr. Wright at the airport, uh, Fort Worth, Dallas, is that? Yes, I have that. Uh, that's the Amon Carter uh, field over in Fort Worth. Um, Amon Carter let Mr. Wright uh, use his private apartment there. And I was uh, having dinner with Mr. Wright here uh, on the night of his arrival. Um, the reason he was in Dallas was to meet with the Dallas Theater Center people who were contemplating a design for a new theater and wanted Mr. Wright to see the site. So that was the reason he was here, but he also visited the, the Gilling construction site and uh, made a number of uh, design uh, decisions at that point, both on the stonework and on the ceiling of the living room where we had um, uh, plywood panels uh, and a geometric design was cut in the panels uh, that became the lighting for the for the living room. The new project is this one, right? This is the theater this is the in Dallas. Dallas. Theater. Yes. Dallas theater. So this is the plan for the yes. theater, and you might po point out what uh, disagreement, in effect. <clears throat> Uh, 
the theater people had with uh, well, Mr. Wright's idea here um, derived from an earlier theater design, um, and Mr. Wright envisioned the lower level under the theater seating level to be a workshop, and the um, sets would be brought up the ramps, so it would be brought up one ramp and then put on the stage and taken back down the other ramp. But uh, in actuality, some of these sets were quite large and extremely heavy. Um, if you put them on wheels and so forth. And Paul Baker, I think for some time, tried to talk Mr. Wright um, out of the ramp idea, but Mr. Wright prevailed and Mr. Baker went along with it, but as they started using the theater, it, it just wasn't working. So, um, in their planning, they felt that they needed an elevator. So, uh, a small elevator uh, was designed here into the building, and um, West Peters. Uh, the chief architect for the foundation um, agreed that uh, it um, was required uh, and both he and I felt we'd both be fired if Mr. Wright ever saw it, but um, Mr. Wright passed away before uh, the theater was finished. He never did see it, so uh, it is the way that they do bring the big sets up. Smaller pieces do uh, come up the ramp. They, they do use it, but not to the extent that Mr. Wright had originally thought. This was, it wasn't? This is the original. Original color. This is the original. We had uh, uh, golden um, uh, seating and the ceiling was gold. Um, in later years, as the theater uh, evolved from uh, an extension of uh, Baylor University, which was the initial uh, connection with Paul Baker, the director, uh, subsequent directors uh, played around with the interiors uh, quite a bit. They didn't like the uh, the light color. They took out these chairs, put in regular theater seating, uh, painted the walls a, a dark green color, completely uh, destroyed the appearance of the theater. Uh, additions were put on the theater that um, uh, are now going to be removed. They're trying to rebuild the uh, theater and restore it to Mr. Wright's uh, design. There's a big program on right now, Drive for Funds to do that, and working with the city and Parks Department to uh, achieve uh, a reproduction here or a rebuilding of Mr. Wright's uh, really is his, one of his last projects. Well, uh, one of the really dramatic last 
projects that Mr. Wright had, and you were just uh, uh, a kind of observer, probably, in this case. But uh, this particular image of the, uh, of the Guggenheim Museum was uh, already drawn in 1943. So there was a, an idea, uh, but uh, uh, this is already a later version. You can see that there are quite a few uh, spirals here missing in the later version, and uh, maybe you can explain what what your your role in that reduction process was. Well, um, at one time, uh, a model had been made. Um, for the theater, um, and I really have never decided whether this is it or uh, there might have been a prior model, uh, but um, Mr. Wright was trying to get the cost down. Uh, the the uh, preliminary bids were very high, and he felt he could probably some, reduce some costs by removing one of the levels. So uh, one day he told, um, told me to get a saw and um, we removed in the drafting room, we removed one level, uh, sort of butchered it out and lowered it down. And I don't know whether this is the original or the revised version, but um, we did uh, we did uh, attack the model at one time and uh, remodeled it. But in this particular uh, photograph, Mr. Wright is on the left, and uh, Miss Mrs. Rebe. And yes, then Guggenheim, Guggenheim, Mr. Guggenheim. And Mr. Guggenheim, right. And uh, uh, as I understand it, it was uh, Mrs. Rebe who uh, influenced Guggenheim to acquire uh, abstract, non-representational paintings, such as those of Kandinsky. And then he needed a museum to actually display all these artworks that he acquired. Uh, but uh, another kind of anecdote that I have learned from you is uh, your discussion with uh, uh, Wes Peters about the difficulty of translating from the uh, drawings to the reality of the, 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 the actual building of this spiral. And I think maybe you can kind of tell the story by pointing to something here in the center. Yes, this this had been discussed several times and uh, not really um, fully explained, I, I believe, until um, sometimes later, even after Wes Peters died. But he made a comment to me at one time that he had used a pipe in the center point of the building that he maintained in accurate position throughout construction. He wrote about it somewhat 
at one time, but it appears that the way that they controlled the, the spiral, both in its curve and its elevation, was a collar was placed around this pipe and a measuring line tape was pulled from that point out to the formwork at a certain point. And it was all determined mathematically that for every degree or whatever they had selected, um, there would be a different dimension as you went up the up the ramp, it, it gets larger as it goes up. And that's the only way they could control the construction of a ramp that was curving, rising, and expanding all at the same time. Uh, the, the clue was the pipe that West maintained in the center and the measurements that were taken from that center point to the outside of the formwork at any particular point around the ramp as it rose. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I think that... Probably the only way it could ever have been built. And it was very accurate as a result. I mean, yes. they, were, they were able to do that. Well, this was the last uh, work by uh, uh, Mr. Wright, uh, but uh, you continued to work in Denver and some of the projects related to Mr. Wright's plans. After I left the fellowship, um, I opened my own, own office up in Denver. And in 1966, um, we are, weren't on computers, of course, at that time, and um, were asked by uh, Taliesin to assist in the uh, production of some of the construction documents, and we ended up completing about 50 projects as the Denver office for the Frank Lloyd Wright Foundation. Anyway, before we end the conversation, I want to uh, mention one thing that I think, I suspect, was, was a fairly common theme throughout these years, and it's, it's Mr. Wright's interest in music because he really uh, was very involved in, in uh, making music part of the fellowship. And uh, somehow he related music to architecture. Is that right? I mean, that's, that's my impression. Um, yes, uh, Mr. Wright encouraged uh, uh, all the arts uh, in his architecture. Uh, music was an inspiration to him as well as to many people who uh, went to Talias and we had uh, a number of excellent musicians as part of our apprentice group. Well, my, my field is German literature and I, I like the fact that, that Mr. Wright admired Goethe and uh, and uh, the fact that he thought of architecture as frozen music, 
that is a quotation from yeah. Goethe. That's right. So that, that was kind of a part of his philosophy of architecture. Yeah, the uh, the chorus, of course, the the chorus uh, was very important to the foundation, uh, the fellowship, and uh, there was always a, a quartet, uh, at least a quartet, uh, as well as individual uh, soloists uh, at Taliesin. And I think Mr. Wright played the piano. And uh, he would uh, sort of play with chords. I don't think uh, no particular melody, but uh, my first room was underneath the living room at Taliesin, and I could hear him playing the piano uh, occasionally up above. Uh, and just a series of chords and whatnot. He just uh, loved the music and uh, love creating something maybe a little different all the time. Thanks for listening. Now stay tuned for Jazz in the Afternoon following immediately and for the Happy Hour at 3 p.m. followed by the Heartland Labor Forum at 6 p.m. All right here on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio.